This is NAI Global's Diving Into Commercial Real Estate. Hey there, I'm Matt Jafoon, co-founder of Occupier. We started Occupier in 2018 with the goal of connecting tenant reps, real estate teams, and lease accounting professionals so that you can make smarter, more informed leasing decisions for your business. Occupier helps tenants and brokers manage the entire leaf life cycle in a fully secure, SOC 1 compliant online environment. Our leasing solution is optimized for team collaboration, complete transparency, and delivers unique insights into your entire deal pipeline and your clients' real estate portfolios. Check us out at Occupier.com. Welcome, everybody, to NAI Global's uh, Diving Into CRE podcast. This is our top producers edition, where we will be interviewing uh, a number of top producers around the NAI Global network uh, based on their performance in 2020. And we're kicking our uh, series off today with Kevin Goler, principal of NAI Global. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. And we're kicking our uh, podcast series off today with Kevin Goler, principal of NAI KLMB outside of the Washington, D.C. area. Kevin has been specializing in representing both tenants and landlords throughout the Northern Virginia region for over 30 years. He holds his specialties are land, development, data centers, and leasing and sales. He holds the professional designations of Society of Industrial and Office Realtors and Certified Commercial Investment Members, or CTIMs, and is the past regional director for the North Virginia chapter. He is also a member of the Greater Washington Commercial Association Association of Realtors. Excuse me, Kevin. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. First, I just wanted to congratulate you on uh, being a top producer uh, in such a challenging time. You know that must feel. Uh, extra rewarding in some ways. Well, uh, it's just a product of uh, of what happens when you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> it's probably a little bit of that, and then probably a little bit more of the way you get there, which uh, I'm sure we'll dig into today. So maybe we could start with that and tell us, you know, what what are you currently focused on that you know helped you achieve uh, top producer status. Well, I've been doing this for uh, over uh, 27 years, and I've been really focused on single-story product in the Dulles Airport region. So that covers flex industrial, industrial, land development from the ground up, uh, but it's all pretty much predominantly the single-story product. Uh, it could even be office uh, with a technology spin, um, and, uh, and that's, it's done me very well. I've been very focused on the region, very focused on the project on the product and um, it's done me very well. That's, that's great. And what, um, maybe you could just dive a little bit more into, you know, you, you threw out flex and industrial, and I know you work in the technology sector. Tell us a little bit more uh, focused on, you know, what you're doing for uh, different uh, developers and uh, tenants in that space and, uh, you know, h- how you are uh, helping them through their process. I, I've been blessed with a background that started in the farming industry, uh, agriculture, uh, and I did that for uh, 13, 15 years in the Loudoun County region. Getting to know the, the county government, the board of supervisors, 
the players in the market just through my farming activities and uh, wanting to give that up because it was a 24 seven job. And I was convinced by one of my landlords to get into uh, real estate because it wouldn't take so many hours. Uh, well, in fact, that's not necessarily true because <laughs> it consumes an awful lot of your hours. However, it doesn't really consume the nights and weekends uh, if you don't want it to. And um, so I got into that and developing the relationships and continuing the relationships through the years has done me very well. We, it was reported that we had three generations of this uh, type of zoning that is the single story warehouse in my region. And coupling that with the government enterprise coming out of Washington, D.C., up and down the toll roads and dealing with the infrastructure there, uh, I, I um, just dabbled a little bit in real estate while I was running my agriculture business and found out that it was magic when you when you basically invested a little bit or, or a lot in certain intersections or future to be intersections and they just grew so you can continue with the business and intersection development seemed to be uh, really uh, profitable. So taking that knowledge of somewhat of the infrastructure to the next level, uh, when I got into real estate, I did enroll in the CCIM program and became an expert in commercial. And that's all I did was commercial, very focused in commercial. And as a result, I started landing tenants and I just happened to really enjoy the technology spin of it. So I really focused on the technology tenants and um, and and wouldn't take no for an answer. Just really focused on these types of tenants. And when someone had that kind of tenant, I would love to just run with that tenant. I did the regular practice in my region continuously uh, to make sure that the income was happening. But I really enjoyed the technology side of it. And, uh, and that has brought us to where we are today. So through the years, it's been technology tenant representation. Uh, and now we've grown all the way to e-commerce and data centers. And uh, I always find it interesting. It's such a diverse uh, group of people in, in terms of backgrounds that end up in a commercial real estate space and they, they come at it from all these different angles. Um, it's always very interesting to me to hear that. Um, so you, you mentioned that you're working in the, in the data center space. And I know we've talked before, you've mentioned hyperscalers and some of the other technology companies that you are currently working with and developers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what characteristics of properties developers look for um, to maybe build a data center? Well, uh, first off, you have, I mean, it, it, looking at it from a higher level, you have to understand the infrastructure of the way the United States is put together. And, and let's start with power. So power, we have three power grids. We have the West Coast grid, we have the East Coast grid, and we have the Texas grid. Those are the three grids in America. And it's, no, and it's no surprise nor uh, a shocker of what everybody has seen recently, what happened in Texas. And the reason it happened is because it is a standalone grid on its own. Like in the 1800s, Texas wasn't even a state uh, of the United States. And as a result, you know, you live and die by your isolation. Um, they were doing very well. And if you are a data center operator looking at the infrastructure, just generally speaking, like I said, from a high level, you want a location on the West Coast, you want a location on the East Coast, and you want a location in Texas. Therefore, you basically build the strength and the redundancy in what your operation is. So understanding that and tying that together with the fiber development that's coming up and down what we call the toll road, which connects Dulles Airport with National Airport, so to speak, uh, that was a government um, 
funded. Uh, it was copper originally, meaning metal, and then it has graduated and progressed into fiber. We have more fiber in this region than anywhere in the United States. So dealing with that infrastructure as well as the power, and then we can get into water. And I'm not sure how detailed you really want to get into this, but that has made the crossroads of the magic just happening and being involved in one of actually the first data center built in my region and then the second and then the third people were turning their heads and saying what is this and and they were very surprised what was going on and we don't know whether we're going to put data on the moon or in satellites uh still there was a lot of uh there was a lot of um caution uh, that it's not really a real product. And then, and I know one of the next questions you're going to ask me is going to be how much does it cost to actually build one because we're all over the board there. But the point is that this is a discipline that was not adopted by many. It was very, very uh, not deep at all, very shallow. Now we look at it and, um, and it is one that is adopted by everybody. People that uh, it, it is, as soon as last year we're investing in multifamily and self storage, they're all turning their heads and now they want to deploy capital into data center development, not knowing the first thing about it and trying to learn and be an expert at it because, and sorry to ramble on here, but because we are actually, I used to say we're at the fourth inning of a nine inning game. Uh, and now with what has happened because of COVID, and the the emergence of zoom and, and other platforms where where even these technology companies can't even keep up i'm not sure at the third inning yet um this could be just blowing totally out of proportion we know that that we, america is running businesses in the e-commerce sense more than ever ever before in history and there seems to be no end to it and they're actually redoing their business plan to fit more of that e-commerce in Wow, that's fascinating. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned that originally there was just a few players. Now there's people dabbling in the space that, you know, maybe don't have the experience. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do and how you can help somebody, you know, looking to maybe get into the space, uh, identifying the appropriate properties and kind of taking them through the process. Uh, I don't know if the question is really oriented towards specifically what I am doing. I would like to not go there because, as I have said, and put together meetings for NAI through the years, through the past, uh, I would say, 17 years, we had meeting rooms set aside, and then we got um, basically just the lunch format, et cetera. And the discipline of what you're doing in real estate cannot just be used for data, but it can be used for any discipline. I mean, if you have the focus and the plan and you live by it daily from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed, then you will develop in whatever your discipline is. In my sense right now, uh, I'm, I'm asked this question every day. Yes, 95% of what I do is data and there's a reason for it. But you could ask that question to someone that's in self-storage and 95% of their business is self-storage. If you have the team, the plan, the discipline, and the focus, you do whatever you do. Just know that that's what it is. It's your plan. You can't be distracted um, doing everything. You have to focus on what you clearly are doing and, uh, and you live by it. That's great advice. And so you mentioned, I think in that you mentioned that, 
I assume you work as a team, or are you more of a solo type broker? I, no, I definitely work as a team. I totally promote teams. I think that if you if you sit down and plan your team, what is the perfect team for you? Evaluate it and evaluate it again and revisit it and then go out and find your team players. They may be sitting right in the desk next to you. They may be in the firm that you compete with. They may be not even in the business yet. One of our team members, we pulled out of a different business. It was real estate, but it was residential estate sales. And we brought her into our team, Chase Stewart, and and um, and I don't want to say trained her our way, but she adopted to the plan right away. She's focused on the plan right away. And, um, and our team is working very well together. So my point is, you know, at the right time, you get the right team together with the right plan, and you focus on your discipline, and you cannot do it all. You can't, no matter how much of a professional and a genius you think you are, you cannot do it all. And, you know, one plus one equals three, and uh, one plus two equals five. It's just, it's magic the way that it happens. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, taking a step back for a second, you know, for some of the people who are maybe younger brokers or earlier in their careers, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, brokerage long term? There's been some discussion that there might be some disintermediation with technology. Is brokerage something that you believe in long term? Brokerage long term. Brokerage is here to stay forever. Everyone thinks that your job and your desk are going to be taken over by a computer. I just heard this morning on a news report that um, they have monkeys now that are wired that can play video games without even touching a keyboard and their brain is actually playing the game. It's pretty amazing. But no matter how you look at this, this is a people to people business. I don't care whether it's on Zoom. I don't care if it's on telephones. If you notice that some of the senior players right now that may be listening to this podcast, one of the things that really gives them angst is the juniors that come in and their whole life is texting and emailing. Let me tell you something. That is not the magic it takes to develop the relationship. Yes, it's useful. Yes, it's a tool. But the magic that works is people to people. Pick up that phone and call John. Pick up that phone and call Jerry. That touch. That CRM base that you need, that touch is absolutely necessary. And I tell, and I mentor a lot of uh, younger kids in the business, the deal is it's not about the money. It's about the relationship. I can give you some uh, case studies of relationships that I built in 1992 that weren't even paying off until the last 10 years. And let me tell you, the payoff has been tremendous. And it's that relationship that you build, and it's all about the relationship. Give away stuff for free. I mean, have these conversations. Let them appraise their estate. Let them appraise their real estate. Um, do what you need to do as the professional in the field so that when that day comes, they call you and they trust no one else other than you. And the deals are, are major. That's great. And um – you know, you touched on just in terms of advice, discipline, planning, focus, relationships. Any other advice you would give on how to become a top producing broker uh, to, to some some uh, brokers that are listening in the future or potential brokers? I would tell you, uh, we haven't really talked about it, uh, some, sort, some sort of uh, CRM, some form of that mm -hmm. uh, contact management platform, because... You can't do everything 
And when you call me, Cliff, I pull up your name and I, I have right in front of me the last time we talked, what we talked about, what was important to you, what your dog's name is, you know, you know, these silly things that develop that relationship and that relationship mm -hmm. is critical. And I will also say as corny as it stands um, to me, what has helped me through the years and my own kids came up with this is, uh, is a vision board. When you get up in the morning, what is your vision board? Is it hanging in your office? And by a vision board, I mean, what do you want to extract from life? And how are you going to get there? And I know it sounds corny, but I'm telling you, the focus, again, of just a simple vision board of, uh, of you know, what you're doing with your family, uh, or if you're not even, you don't even have a family yet, you know, where you're going to go and where you're going to travel, where you're going to meet your next girlfriend, things like that. Just that vision board and just, it all gets down to the, 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 uh, focus that you have. I love that. I might go put one of those up in my office. Uh, well, Kevin, th thanks for joining us today. Congratulations again on being a top producing broker. Uh, we hope to uh, have you on next year uh, in the same uh, position. So hopefully you'll come back on and we'll be able to uh, give you the award again next year. I'm glad. I'm glad to be the recipient. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of NAI and, and thank you for the call. Great. And uh, we'll throw up uh, Kevin's information uh, in case there's any uh, people out there that do need to get in touch with him for uh, potential business. So that'll be up on the uh, the, the uh, site when we put the podcast up. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome to NAI Global's Diving Into Commercial Real Estate podcast. Uh, this is the Top Producers Edition, where we highlight the top producers from NAI around the globe. I'm your host, Cliff Moskowitz, uh, Executive Vice President at NAI Global, and I'm joined today by uh, top producer many times, uh, Arya Solomon from NAI Puget Sound out of the Bellevue, Seattle, and Tacoma area. Thanks for coming on, Arya. We're, we're glad to have you today. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on this podcast. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see if that's how you feel by the end of it. Um, just for a little background, R.A. Solomon joined NAI Puget Sound Properties in 1998 as a principal. As a continual top producer in his field, R.A. has been recognized for his work on numerous occasions, including being named one of the three finalists for SIOR, Industrial Broker of the Year, in Washington State 11 times, with wins in 98 and 2015. He's also been honored as one of the market's top deal makers by CoStar Group several years in a row, and most recently been made NAI Global's top 10 producers worldwide list for four years in a row. So that's a global distinction. So thanks for coming on today. Um, that, that gives a little bit of background about you know who you are, but maybe you could tell us in your own words kind of you know who you are and, and what you do. Well, where do I start? So um, I was born and raised in Israel, and in 1984, I came to United States to, uh, with the sole purpose of going to University of Washington, uh, planning to get my degree in architecture and going back to Israel. That was the original plan. Moved to Seattle, I attended the University of Washington, actually graduated my undergraduate was in business in, instead of architecture 
and met my wife uh, at university, and the rest is history. So I graduated from the University of Washington in 89, and by 1990, I started my career in uh, commercial real estate. I was working, um, the first company that hired me was Nois, Beggs and Simpson, who also was part of the NEI um, platform, although they did not have the affiliation in Seattle. And I remember I always uh, was hoping that someday the Nois, Beggs and Simpson office in, in Bellevue would join. Mm. So that was my first introduction to an NEI. Wow, and um, when you got started, um, were you um, immediately in the, on the brokerage side of things? And did you um, also, did you start with a focus on industrial real estate like you're in now? Or how, how did that develop to get to, so, to where you're That's a great place? question. Uh, my my uh, focus in, in the business school was marketing and international business. And I really wanted to find a job uh, locally in Seattle because I really love Seattle. And I remember most of the companies that came to interview on campus were from out of state. And I wanted to really stay focused in Seattle. I wanted to find a career or a profession in something that I can um, excel. They, 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 you know, there was no limit to the potential of earnings. And I believe that the harder I work, the more dedicated I will be, the more successful I will be. So real estate gave me the opportunity to do all those things, to be an expert in the market, to be local, and also to allow me to do both, uh, especially in industrial, to take a role in, develop it, design a building, build a building, be involved in constructions, then list the buildings, and then sell it. So I felt that uh, choosing industrial, which in Seattle is mostly logistics and, and e-commerce, would give me the best opportunity to excel in this profession. That was very forward-thinking from back then, I'm sure. You know, the perception, at least, of you know, being an industrial real estate broker has, has changed a lot over your career, huh? Yeah, it's, you know, it, we've been very lucky. I, I'm in a market which is Seattle, which is the darling of the entire United States. It's, this market is highly thought by institutional investors. It's always one of the top five industrial market in the United States, even though it's not the largest market, but it's a very active market. Um, we have a lot of spec developments in this market. And I believe because of the topography, there are barriers to entries because of the water to the west, the mountain range on the east. So you are confined to an area that keep moving south from Seattle to development. Mm. I, you know, I know that you know you you've earned this distinction for for brokerage, but you're way beyond a broker. Um, you know, you're, you're even talking just in this intro a little bit about you know the development and some of the advisory stuff you do for developers. Maybe you could just give us a little bit of insight into you know on a daily basis what roles you're actually playing in some of these 
uh, projects that you're working on beyond yeah. just leasing or selling? Yeah, Cliff, what it's important for me to mention is that what I do, I, I don't see myself as a salesperson. I'm not a transactional-oriented uh, broker. I see myself as a consultant, advisor, helping my clients with the vast years of experience that I have. It, I'm asking myself, what would I do if I were in their shoes? or how I can make their business more efficient, how I can find a property that will fit them best for now and for the future. And having experience of almost 31 years in this business, I've seen company that started with a 10,000 square feet size, a small shop and grew to 100,000 square feet and multiple locations. And I was able to follow those leaders, the president of those companies, and you know give them some advice in real estate and help them along the way with my experience you know what i tend to do is i tend to look at the market and i'm looking at okay where is the next opportunity where is the market heading and right now for example we are very lucky to be involved in several exciting projects one of them consists of 320 acre sites on the I-5 corridors, halfway between Seattle and Portland. That's the largest contiguous site that is zoned, industrial, and ready for development. It is SIPA approved. And we were very lucky to attract and bring loads home improvement into that site last year and we are in the midst of a construction on 1.2 million square feet for loads and are now marketing the rest of the site for other users. In addition to that site, we are working with, a, with another large real estate investment trust, the largest in the world for largest, on developing an 87 acre site. I call it more an infill site. We've been working on this project for over five years. It's an assemblage of several uh, landowners and put the property together for, for future development. And we are designing a three building project that uh, consists of a 1.1 million square feet. We also work now with another uh, national developer on a 16 acre site, uh, with, with a project which is less than one mile south of SeaTac International Airport. And we are, um, Finishing, we are in a, almost done with the SIPA review process by the state of Washington and plan to break ground in June of this year. Also, it's a three building consisting of about 310,000 square feet. So we've been very lucky to work with very good clients that would like to invest in this market. And all those buildings I'm talking about are, you know, we're working now are development. We don't see much a uh, build to suit. We see mostly spec development. If the developer will build it, the tenant will come. And we've been very fortunate. That's great. I mean, just to think about that the demand is there for projects of that, you know, size and scale is, you know, uh, you know a very positive sign for the market and for, um, you know, just jobs in general in the area and kind of what's going on. Uh, in your neck of the woods. So that's great. 
Um, you know, you keep using the term we, uh, so I'm guessing that you work in a team rather than solo. Is that correct? A hundred percent. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about your team and, and kind of how your team is structured. Yeah, uh, in my opinion, the only way to succeed in this business is to be part of a team. And I, I think I've learned it when, uh, for my early years, uh, when I was still in Israel in the military, and I learned the you know, value of camaraderie, sharing information, working as a team approach. And I brought it here with me to the business. Um, on my team, I require, first of all, all my team members to have a, either a CCIM or an SIOR designation. With the idea is we, to show the client that we are a professional, committed broker to our profession. So I was actually able to recruit my partner, Jeff, 26 years ago after he graduated uh, with a law degree and went into going to real estate. Uh, and Jeff and I have been working together for over 26 years now. And we have a personal assistant, Patty Bell, that has been with us for, oh my gosh, 20 years in the company. That she is licensed assistant. And then about seven years ago, we brought uh, Connor Powell to join our team. And recently, about two years ago, we brought one more person, uh, Brett Mattis, who is the youngest member of the team. So, you know, our team uh, consists of, uh, you know, several brokers and, of course, personal assistant that serves our and help us uh, on a daily basis. And also, uh, you know, some long-standing members of the team and some people who are on board more recently. So it sounds like, you know, you, you keep growing. Which is yeah, we, yeah, we've been very lucky. I was very fortunate that I was able to train and mentor eight brokers in my company over the last uh, 25 years. And you know, some of them are already partners in a in a company and are top producers. And it's great to see the success for those brokers that started as young, you know, intern and now becoming a, a super broker within our company. I can tell you that our company is very unique. We have a very collaborative approach uh, to business. We don't have any commission disputes. We have an open door policy. We share information. We work as team and which enable us to compete uh, against the top brokerage firms in the market, which, uh, you know, it, it's a fun atmosphere to go to work when you like the people you work with and you trust them. And I think a trust is the most important uh, aspect of the business. You have to invest in your team members, believe that it might take years before you see the reward, but ultimately you will benefit from the relationship. I think that that's certainly some great advice right there. Um, Take a step away from, um, you know, yourself personally and kind of the things you're working on. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people in the industry are talking about now are some of the disintermediation that's going on with technology and, you know, what is the future for commercial real estate brokerage? So I'm curious on your thoughts on, you know, what you think uh, the long-term outlook for commercial real estate brokerage 
is, will it still be kind of what it has been and what it is today? Or, you know, will it have some, undergo some sort of change um, with the technology that's out there now? You know, it's interesting, you know, because I started this career 31 years ago, and I remember at that time, um, the largest companies, the national and international companies, were getting the majority share of the business because of their size and their uh, footprint, both in the United States and abroad. And because of technology, and uh, of, it allowed smaller companies, entrepreneurial companies, to become much more competitive because they were able to provide the same uh, or gain access to the same information that previously only the large, uh, big real estate firms had. And then they, the, the thought was, wow, technology will replace the brokers and there is no need for a broker because you can get everything online. And you cannot replace experience. You cannot replace knowledge uh, with technology. The clients choose to work with you because of the trust they put in you, because of the advice that you give them. When you look at data or you look at technology, you, you cannot uh, gain advice. You can see numbers and facts, but somebody has to make uh, determinations and give you the trend and help you navigate uh, the market. So we embrace technology. Uh, that's the strongest suit for Jeff. Jeff is very good with technology, and we learn to adapt uh, technology into our business. But, you know, I don't think you can replace the actual face-to-face -face meeting with the client and the extensive knowledge that you gain that you can advance help him make the right decision, him or her. Yeah, so it sounds it sounds like um, embracing the technology uh, and uh, be, having the ability to analyze the data um, is what, in, in conjunction with you know, an advisor, is, is what you think would be the best outcome um, in the future going forward. Yeah, correct. You need to be creative. I think the success for this business is the creativity aspect. Everybody can show a space and everybody can take a client in a car and show them four buildings. But to be creative, to find a solution that uh, other brokers cannot, that, that's where you gain uh, an edge over your competitors. You know, you've, you've given us a, a lot of nuggets here throughout the um, discussion. I think the last question I have is, is there any additional advice, you know, that you would give uh, maybe a younger broker or um, somebody trying to take their career to the next level on how they can eventually become a top producing broker like yourself? Well, um, the way I see it is, first of all, he or she needs to love the business. It's not a job, it's a career, it's a profession. And you, it's not a nine to five type of a job. I don't want to say it's 24-7 because you have a family, but it's hard not to think about work after you come home or over the weekend or at night to come up with solutions. So you need to really love what you do because you will spend a lot of time in the office or at this profession. 
Second, you need to be competitive. You, you wanted to compete with yourself and become better. You want to continue to advance your knowledge, take as many classes as you can in the business so you can differentiate yourself with the average broker. And then you have to put commission aside. Commission is a byproduct of the work that you do for the client. If you do the best job for the client, you will be compensated in the future. And the client knows when he works with a, a broker that cares about the commission, or he works with a broker that really cares about the outcome of the transaction. And the third thing is team up with people, learn from somebody, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, I still, after 30 years, still ask questions. I can still learn today from other brokers and other mentors. So continue to develop and expand your knowledge because it's going to make you a better broker. All great foundations for success. Aria Solomon, NAI Puget Sound, thank you so much for joining us today. We expect to talk to you again next year when I'm sure you will be a top producing broker around the uh, NAI global system again. Well, you have a great afternoon and thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you very much.